Welcome to Word in the Streets, a weekly podcast from Barclays where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, speaks with Ned Naylor Leyland, Fund Manager at Jupiter Asset Management, about the role that precious metals play in investment portfolios and what the rise and fall in their prices say about the prevailing markets. Welcome to another, yet another uh, word on the street. We've already had two this week and you're being hit with a third. And the quality just keeps on coming because what we're doing, as you know, is it's a back to school kind of deluge of quality where we're trying to introduce you uh, to a number of the kind of external fund managers and experts that we bring to bear on your assets, on your savings in the guise of our multi-asset class funds and portfolios. As you know, this is Ned from Jupiter. Welcome, Ned. Very good to have you here. Before we get to Ned, just quickly in terms of the world and what's going on. So one of the sort of big data points that came in yesterday, the ISM services, is this is one of the kind of long running, reasonably decent kind of lead indicators for US and therefore global activity and all the rest of it was actually surprising to the upside. And so, uh, again, this kind of narrative of where's the recession? Why isn't there a recession? Like, you know, All this kind of stuff is still going on mostly to ignore. In the UK, you're seeing a sort of continued decline in house prices on some metrics, which some have been worrying about a little bit. Again, that's, you know, that could be very much related to the story about real interest rates rising over time. That seems to have quite a good knock-on relationship with regards to house prices. And otherwise, the world doesn't look that much different from yesterday. Yes, some of the tech companies having a few problems, but let's get into the discussion of the moment. So, Ned, first of all, Tell us a little bit about your job and a little bit about what you do and your passion, because I think it coincides with what you do for work. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be here in the first place. So I, I manage a fund investing in in physical gold, physical silver, mm-hmm. and also the mining equities of those two metals. And I suppose my my raison d'etre has always been to, to offer a form of portfolio insurance for people when we go through periods of monetary distress. I don't think we're there at the moment. But I think we what, maybe, what, what is monetary? How do you get to monetary distress? Well, it wasn't that, last year, let's say. Well, no, I don't think we've had monetary distress. We've had other types of distress yes. specific to the to, and, and you mentioned real rates. So yes. uh, when we see real rates really start to collapse, particularly forward yes. expectations of real rates, that's when gold and silver come into their own. They really deliver. And actually, of course, we had that that short period where the 60-40 model didn't work well. Yes. And actually, our asset class did do that's, very sorry, well. Sorry, just to interrupt. So that's 60% stocks, 40% bonds. It's one of the kind of ways of organizing uh, a diversified investment portfolio. Sorry. To yeah, no, no, no. Don't be silly. And, and, and that actually segues into this point about portfolio diversification and yeah. monetary distress. Segues into the point about central banks, which people are aware that, that gold is a part of central bank reserves. Yes. Probably not aware of how much it it's a huge proportion. A lot of what I like to do is to try to introduce people to the idea that unlike what Ben Bernanke said in, in testimony, the fact that central banks hold gold is not a tradition. The fact that adding more is not a tradition. The reason they're doing it is because they see gold specifically for what it is, which is risk-free money. And that, again, introduces a separate point about what is and isn't risk-free. But I just like to discuss these things and, and hopefully deliver a form of insurance against a problem that hasn't really manifested yet, but may do in the future. 
And does that mean just out of interest, lots of travel? Do you have to travel around the world exploring these various mines or going to look in central bank vaults or that so kind central of thing? Banks, central banks don't really let you in their vaults. You, you won't be surprised to hear. Um, not even we, the as, a team, we do, as a team, we do lots of mine site visits. I yeah. tend to not do that because I'm not a geologist or a mine engineer, yes. unlike my colleague. So, so he gets to go on three-week trips to Mexico and right. jolly things like that, which he's off to do soon. Very nice. So I, so I do travel around the world, but generally it's more on an introductory and sales basis to, to discuss this subject. Because in fact, people find it difficult to know where gold might sit in, a, in an investment portfolio, which mm-hmm. is a problem. Because if central banks have 75% of reserves in gold, and investors don't even know where it would sit if it was in a portfolio. Yes. I think that there's there's a need to, if not re-educate, but to sort of blend these two parts yes, into, a, into a happy medium. I can see that. And, and do you find at all, this is a bit of a weird question, so forgive me, but do you find that interest in you going on the road can correspond in any way to sort of price action or sort of popularity of your fund? I mean, is it, it does that give us an indication of its own when people are interested in gold? Is that generally a precursor or a lagged well, monetary think, distress, as you talk about? Well, I'm very... Very much of the view that momentum is 95% of all investment outcomes nowadays. Yes. So I, I, point made, but I would tend to say also that investment professionals are overweight my asset class relative to the underlying investors. So in right. fact, quite often I am on the road because people are, the investment professionals are interested in the subject. They right. may not be ready to allocate, but they do want to to hear and talk about it. Mm-hmm. But you've opened, opened up an opportunity for me to make a point, which I think is relevant to the conversation, which is, you know, we, I am not a bull market in my asset class in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's not true, actually. I was four years old, but, <laughs> but really in my, in my active lifetime. And um, what I mean by that is gold and dollars are the only two things that have been considered or acted as risk-free mm-hmm. in the last 50 years. And they have, to a degree, been fighting for that status. Mm-hmm. And the dollar has had it over gold. Uh, and every time that gold has reached an in, the inflation-adjusted high that it hit in 1980, is come back down again. Yeah. So it's never actually broken out and it's never really been in a bull market. So I can't really answer what the demand will look like yes, when it's trending because mm-hmm. it hasn't actually trended yet. So I'm, yes. I'm the only person you'll ever meet that's been investing for multiple decades. And has never experienced a bull market. <laughs> yes. How sad. I can well, hear the listeners are sobbing quietly. You no, know, I mean, it's sad, but, but equally, yes. I like to think that one in 20 people I meet don't mind. So in other words, they recognize <laughs> what it means, yes. why you would do it, the diversification benefits, mm. and they get on board anyway. Yeah. I'm happy to wait for the other 19. They can come with a, yes. with a secular breakout for gold, which I see as being about $2,200 an ounce. Okay. I think above that, then you'll see CNBC and Bloomberg and the FT and and you'll start to, and the, and the CTAs, so the momentum mm. uh, products will all start to go long and it will then perpetuate from there. So I, I can be patient, I've been patient so far. Why not? Yeah, good. And so uh, you sort of talked a little bit about sort of the fundamental backdrop there. So what would you see as the moment in terms of your your sort of patch? What are the sort of main things for people? What do, what do you think about at the moment in terms of what are you looking at in terms of the world and the outlook and the inputs into your patch? Yeah, so, so the thing to, to, to recognize is that, that so gold and silver are FX. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for are foreign exchange drivers perversely. So people think of gold and silver as being commodities in their mind, and indeed I invest in, in mining companies. But what we're looking for is a relative foreign exchange observation. So mm-hmm. let's pull that back. People talk about the gold price. There's no such thing. That's the US dollar gold price. Yeah. And people obsess over that because dollars and gold have been fighting for 
risk-free status for 50 years. Mm -hmm. So people are very intuitively interested. They don't necessarily understand quite what I said in an unpicked way, but mm -hmm. they feel that, that that's the relevant gold price. But it's not really because if you go to Turkey, lots of people hold gold. Turkish lira gold price is, let's say, quite high. Yes. And the reason it's high and the reason people don't sell gold there is because on a forward basis, they don't want to hold their local currency. So to answer the question about what the trigger is, what we're really asking is, what's the trigger for people to not want to hold dollars on a forward basis. So, so if, if I'm looking at that, I'm saying, okay, well, it's real rates. You touched on it earlier. It's all yes. about real rates. It's all about the forward, the forward feel of cash and bond markets. Do I want to hold this long? Mm -hmm. Now, for now, people are still comfortable owning dollars. But I would say that some of the things we're seeing quite recently are profoundly important in that observation to do with BRICS, to do with the way that people are thinking about settling large trade deals. So, you know, local currency based, not US dollar based. Mm. We live in at the back end of a petrodollar system that's been in place since the either 71 or the mid 70s, depending on where you want to pin it. And a lot of the, the realities that have underpinned gold prices and the things that, that I look at are based on assumptions, linear assumptions about the use of the dollar, which I don't think stand up. Right. I think we're at a very, very important and interesting moment. And it brings up this point, which is gold sits in a kind of, well, it's not a triangle, it's more like a square with with dollars, with oil, mm -hmm. and with, with general commodity flows. These things all circle around each other. And we've had a very, very stable environment where government-issued credit, specifically the US version, has been used to settle commodity transactions, metals being part of that, and it's fraying at the edges. So does that mean you think sort of the US period, the unipolar moment, the US period of hegemony is over? That is kind of part of the stimulus? Are we seeing the end of kind of the dollar as a major force? Is that the implication of what we're saying? Or well, is look, that I, I, too far? I mean, yes, that is what I'm saying. I, yes. I, it's not a popular view. If you put me on Bloomberg, they're going to all laugh and go, that's silly. Which is usually uh, a good sign. Well, it is, it is a good <laughs> sign and, and, and it definitely is happening. Um, yes. And indeed, the, the freezing of Russian reserves is certainly a... A, an accelerant in the process of other global central banks mm -hmm. not wanting to own treasuries. Now, if you look at the direction of travel of central bank reserves, continually adding gold, continually selling treasuries, you know, it's set now. And I don't see how they can really get that back. So I think it's already happened, mm. actually. Interesting. I, I feel it's a bit like Wiley Coyote, in fact. Yeah, that so, you've run out of... You're, you're he's already gone. Air. He's already gone. Yes. The legs are pumping. So you don't require the election of a, an, an individual we won't name to, for this to continue, this oh, no. is going to happen anyway. No, 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 no. This is this is set now, and and of course, again, to explain this properly within a historical context, if I'm if I'm allowed to, Very you much know, so. remember that the 50 years we've been through is the anomaly. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's not because, of course, investment timelines are very short, and very, very, very few people like to think in multiple decades and beyond. But in fact, this this era we've been in, it, it wasn't agreed by anyone. So what happened was the Americans effectively defaulted on Bretton Woods in 1971. We've, a lot of people have benefited from it, including most of the people listening to this. And that's been the reality. But the truth is that what was agreed after World War II was that gold would settle international trade. We use the dollar as the checking mechanism, but it's gold that does it. And if we go back to that arrangement whereby a non, the non-political settlement instrument is used again, that's the norm. That's not the anomaly. That would absolutely be just becoming full circle and going back to Bretton Woods. 
Well, yes. I mean, I guess just to sort of put the other side, you could say that that was a function of global growth in a way that the world economy outgrew the gold standard because you can't have a a growing economy tethered to a fixed supply of something like Bitcoin or gold because you're going to have that's inherently deflation. No, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't about growth. It was deficit spending. It wasn't growth. It, it wasn't at the time. It was, it was to do with Vietnam. It was to do with the fact yes. that, that basically the Americans were spending way more than they, they could Yes. A pony up from their gold reserves. So it's nothing to do with growth. It's about deficit spending. Of course mm. it is. And and as Alan Greenspan said in his famous paper of 1966, deficit spending is always a scheme for the confiscation of wealth. And ultimately, this is the view of the gold bug, which is that you want to you wanna be hedged against that problem. Now, to what extent you want to, to buy into that view? Up to you. Up to you. Yes. Exactly. And most people are at zero. Yes. And they think it's fine. So why not take a small proportion of your savings and be aligned with the central bank and be aligned with the central bank i see interesting very interesting and what about some of the other things so you've spoken a little bit what, what about the diversification appeal and that's one of the sort of interesting angles i think with regards to precious metals what can you say about this because interestingly there was a moment and i know i hope you disagree with this I'm maybe sort of saying for you but you know people talked about bitcoin as a potential diversifying having diversification appeal now that's proved pretty illusory but mm. Gold and precious metals have a much longer track record in terms of diversification appeal. Give us a little bit more about. So, it, it, you know, if we if we use the fifty year period that I referenced as our as our sort of talking points, I think before that, it, you know, we were in a gold based system, so it's, yes. it was very very different. But I think the answer is, of course, like anything, you've got to pick your time frame. Are we talking yes. over fifty years? Are we talking over two? You know, what, what's your time frame? To be boring and go back to the point about real rates, you know, gold and silver and, and the mining equities move based on the movement of real rates. Mm -hmm. So the diversification outcome will depend on yeah. where the fixed interest space is, weirdly. So people, are, you know, does gold sit in alts? Is it FX? Mm -hmm. These are equities? And the answer is, well, it's actually a hedge against fixed interest. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to diversification, the answer is there are periods where it provides none. Mm -hmm. And there are periods where it's profound. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, what happened was uh, oil went up and the bond market briefly for a few weeks there went dovish because mm. the bond market thought, hold on, this is happening. They can't raise rates or they can't raise rates to the same extent that we yes. previously thought. That was deeply real interest rate negative for the dollar. Yes. The gold price went up, the stocks went up, the whole thing went up and actually everything else went down. So during that period, the diversification benefits of a fund like I run were very, very obvious yes. for about three weeks. Yes, which is still useful at that time. Well, uh, it was fair, it was useful at that time, and then and then and then we sort of ripped back into a into an era where diversification benefits aren't as obvious. Yeah, yeah. So this is why I mentioned monetary distress at the beginning because that's what it's about. Yeah, it's about confidence in the monetary system, and that's when your diversification shows up. Yeah, and it isn't always going to be there, but it is there when it matters. And 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 that's sort of a, a, a theme quite close to our heart, to be honest, because what we talk about a lot with our clients is you've got to imagine the future that doesn't extend in a straight line from the recent past. When you're investing, you've got to try and imagine, as we do, as our very clever quants do, hundreds of thousands of different viable futures from the current moment. Some of them may not look anything like the last couple of decades. So investing accordingly, I think, is quite an important you know, thing. So just with regards to that, there was a couple of interesting, interesting bits in there. When you talk about gold and precious metals and then the stocks that mine it, how much in terms of the equities that you own, 
do you get the exposure to gold and how much are you just taking equity risk? Do you get a sort of, you know, any kind of relation? Sometimes it's quite fractured. Yeah, there's no equity risk at all. And this is this is an, another problem whereby there are periods where it looks like there is. So example would be 08. We, yes. go, in, we go very shocking deflation yes. short term. Now that is real interest rate positive. Mm. Very, very positive. Now that means the equities go down, the gold and silver mining equities go down with the equity market. But it looked like it was equity risk, but it's actually, it was, to do but actually it's it was just real, real interest. Yeah, yeah, okay, so interest the answer is yes on a day, on one day basis. So if everything yes. falls through the floor, will some people sell gold and silver mining stocks as part of a an index or whatever? Maybe. And it shows up in a very, very minor way. But no, the, it's not that. Gold and silver mining stocks are a, are a, a kind of, so long as you own a, a bunch of them, not mm. one, are a form of option on what we're discussing. So what you're doing yes. is you're not going to get timed out. You're, you're long. There's optionality there. Mm-hmm. They sit as an esoteric part of the equity market, which is difficult because people like trending things in equities. They want it to be trending. Yes. And we've not only the been not been trending, trend. we've not been in the bull market for 50 years. Yes. So it's got to the point where these equities are actually removed by generalist investors from the index. They just sort of go, oh, here's my index. What are those? Red line, yes. do those, <laughs> remove those. And so they sort of sit in this weird world yes. between several stools. But no, you know, they, they are directionally aligned with the US dollar gold price. Interesting. Fascinating. So uh, I've, I've been asking this of everyone. So and I guess finishing off, just what are you most excited about and what are you most worried about? Oh, Let's start off with worry and then... Okay, of- so worry, worry. you mean worried about the world or worried about my portfolio? Let's keep it specific. I think we can worry about many things on the world from the investment standpoint. So I suppose more of the same. The, the fact that the, the, the Fed could kick the can for another 12, 24 months, keep gently rate the rate complex more or less where it is. That would lead the US dollar gold price to be broadly where it is. Yes. So that would be my my annoying. I don't think I worry about it, yeah. but it would be rather exhausting to still be here. Yes. You know, in a year <laughs> or two in the same place that we are now. Yes. You know, if they went hard hawkish from here, I'll be fine because it would undoubtedly cause fractures that mm. would create the environment where we get a turnaround. Yes. So that doesn't worry me. Okay. It's, it's a kind of the linear part that's boring. Yes. For me. And the thing that excites me without any doubt is silver. You know, silver is the most misunderstood asset there is. It's been a shocker to own for 50 years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, pound of sterling silver, that's where we get the our money from. That's where all money comes from silver. It doesn't come from gold. Gold is collateral. Mm-hmm. Money historically was always silver. It got demonetized post-World War II and put into industry. Mm-hmm. But it has a massive implied beta over gold. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is it can do way more for you yeah. within a portfolio context than gold. Now, it's hard to get an exact number on this, but the US dollar gold price is broadly where it was adjusted for the CPI in 1980. Yeah. So we are more or less exactly the same level we were then. Silver was somewhere between three and $400 an ounce at the peak in 1980, and it's currently... 23. So it doesn't doesn't take much explanation why I'm excited by silver because yes. what I see here is at some point gold will break out above 2200. In truth that's the dollar breaking down rather than gold going up and that will take silver with it and I see great great return potential because unlike gold all the silver ever mines being consumed in the equipment we're using, in solar panels, in, in the stuff that we need, particularly going into the new Agenda 2030 world, silver is f- consumed in everything. Mm. So silver has both monetary hedging characteristics, 
but it also has a very, very obvious fundamental supply demand story yeah. alongside. Super interesting. Ned, thank you very much indeed. So uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. But for me, just a reminder that this is, you know, the stories that Ned's talking about, these are all sort of really important aspects of a diversified global investment portfolio or fund. But it's just important to not concentrate your investments too much on a batch of sort of recent winners. Try and think about the world as extending from this point in many different potential directions. Uh, and I would suggest you take Ned's thoughts into that uh, into account on that front. We shall speak to you next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.